Welcome to the Angels Podcast, Neurodivergent Chats, where we chat about life as neurodivergent families. If you have any topics you'd like us to discuss or any questions, please email us at podcast at angelsupportgroup.org.uk. We'd love to hear from you. Hi there. Uh, welcome to Angels Neurodivergent Chats. Uh, I'm here, I'm Judith, and I'm here with my colleagues Lisa and Penny um, for another um, bit of a chat, and I hope uh, this is useful to you. We thought today we would talk about accessing healthcare. It's quite, uh, it comes up often for us, for our children, whatever age they are, into adulthood. And, um, I think it's it's important that we uh, kind of want, want to express anyway what, what your rights are and what you should expect and what you can expect and why sometimes it's really difficult for our, our children to access healthcare. Do you want to start? We were also yeah. started with thinking about the uh, issue. Yeah, we just thought we'd cover off to start off right. with because we've got a national shortage at the moment of certain ADHD medications and it's just beginning to hit, I think, um, in Hertfordshire. Um, and there's certain medications, for certain medications, um, you can be moved on to a different med. For some of them, it's it's really tricky and there is going to be an impact. So there are going to be children whose medications have to change and there's going to be some children who have to stop taking ADHD meds. Um, they are the latest thing that I've heard. There's been communication come out from the um, care board, the integrated care board, um, talking about how hopefully by December, and into December and the right. end of the year, some we, we should be getting them back in stock, but that that's still quite a long way away. Well, it's, well, it's getting into the chemists, it's not yet. Yeah, and that's getting into stock, and then it's got to get, get to the chemists and the rest of it. So this could be an issue that hits um, a few of our families in the next few weeks. Um, and I think it's already, we're already seeing some people saying that they've had communication from their GP or their pharmacist or their pediatrician that their meds are going to have to change or stop mm. or reduce to try and make it slower. And that brings its own issues quite apart from, um, obviously that's going to make things very tricky for those, for those children and those families. But one of the things that we did want to point out is that um, it shouldn't make any difference to school. Um, the children still have an entitlement to full, full, full-time education, um, and essentially, um, adjustments will need to be made. Yeah, for them. I mean, there's no obligation on anybody to to medicate their child no, who has no. ADHD anyway. So if you chosen to looking at it from the perspective of accessing education if you've chosen to or if you choose to some days and not other days that doesn't change fundamentally your rights to uh, yeah. for your child to access education for the school to make reasonable reasonable adjustments to meet the needs of your child in school and they can't yeah. use that as an excuse to exclude your child or no not allow your child in school full-time um because they're not taking their medication, that is that it would be illegal, discriminatory, yeah. and, and and totally against the law. So, so reasonable adjustments might include making changes to the behaviour policy yeah. um, to ensure that a child, because a child with ADHD, their behaviour might not, um, they might not be able to meet the yeah, the expectation in yes. behaviour policy, and it might be that they could do it when they're medicated, and now they can't. So that means that the behaviour policy is going to have to adapt mm -hmm. because they can't 
Yeah, yeah so because so, their behaviour is a, res- as a result of their, their ADHD. Exactly. So it's all co- covered under the Equalities Act 2010. So we just um, we just wanted to steal you for this, yeah, just, just to, 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 just to make sure that everyone knew that, that this isn't something that should mean that your child can't access, access their education mm. in any way. Yeah. I mean, we'd like to think, uh, you know, a sense that uh, settings and others are uh, sympathetic. I mean, it's going to be tough yeah, for our families. Sure yeah. Um, when we've got you know children who are used to being medicated and that medication really makes a difference to them um, for them not to have this so it's you know a far from ideal situation yeah it is um, but we hope that it's reasonably temporary yeah yes <laughs> so moving on from that yeah. <laughs> we're just going to talk about how how for a lot of children neurodivergent children and adults accessing healthcare can be really difficult and this is something that we've experienced personally and we see an awful lot of mm. and we also know that nationally the statistics back this up and that lots of people who are autistic or have a learning disability or neurodivergent have have more health um more chronic health issues and more likely to to die of something that's preventable and have a lower life expectancy i mean the health comes health outcomes generally are considerably um, poorer and 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 we understand that the reason for that is because it's very difficult for those groups of us to access healthcare particularly primary healthcare in the same way as 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 it's delivered. Yeah, times. absolutely. And I, and I think um, what we thought we would do is have a little bit of a conversation about quite what might make it difficult for our children. Yeah. Really, I mean, we as parents, you might already know this, and that's that, well, clearly that's that's great. But it's about making sure we do think about what's going on for them, so that we can articulate that to the care professionals, the health professionals that we're trying to interact with, so that they they get it hopefully, yeah. so that then they can again look at those reasonable adjustments that should be being made and and just sort of saying at the outset as well similar to having a right to full-time education the nhs constitution talks about how everyone in in this country has a right to access the health care and the health support that they need in a way that is accessible for them so it, it and and I think that's often where things fall down is that we don't realise that actually we can ask for reasonable adjustments in how how we access our healthcare and how healthcare is delivered to our children. Um, and the NHS has a duty to provide those reasonable adjustments mm. to a point up to the up to any point really mm. because it's up to the point where that person has to get access to that healthcare. Yeah. So it's whatever you need. They need to provide it. And we're talking about the GP, the dentist, hospitals, yeah, local health centres. This is this is all yeah. of it. Wherever yeah. you are interacting with the any, any health provision that you need to access, have to have to accommodate your needs. But unfortunately, that is very difficult in reality. Um, I certainly have experienced that for myself and for my son. Um, and there's lots of, I think when you're a parent of a, sh- a small child who won't, who can't access their their healthcare, you feel pressured by those clinicians to force your child through yeah. that procedure or that 
yeah medication um, medication you know or the intervention or, or whatever it is that that they're having to undergo and without realizing you do that you force your child to do it and that the impact of that causes such deep trauma that when your child reaches adulthood they just refuse point blank to engage with healthcare yeah and it hard, that it? is worrying for any parent um but also it it's not great for the, the young person um you don't want your young people not being able to get the health care that they need because they've been traumatized from a young age having to undergo things through force um yeah and i think essentially and we've both we've both experienced this haven't we if you do force your child to the point where they are so distressed um to have any sort of medical even just an examination yeah. you know or even um, taking medication yeah anything try to take medication taking tablets or anything um it's it's essentially it takes years of unpicking yeah. and years of sort of quite specialist work to be yeah. able to then enable them to do it as an adult and sometimes that works and some yeah. and sometimes it, it takes longer and, and you know mm. it's a process mm. um but essentially if i if i could turn the clock back to when my mm. eldest was two mm. and we took him to hospital for an eye inspection because he had an intermittent squint and this is where it all started for us they put drops in his eyes that stung mm. and after that he would not let anybody he wouldn't go into any nhs building he wouldn't let anybody look at him do anything to him including us and it's taken years and years and years of work to get him to the point where he yeah. will now yeah. but that is not you know but it's because i didn't know that i, I yeah. didn't know that, that they would have that impact and i think that's where it's really hard and obviously as parents of very young children you do feel completely pressured to yeah and our accept. children as we know don't forget anything no so, no you know, uh, at least wasn't, wasn't gonna forget that all those years later so i think what we were hoping to talk about now would be kind of kind of two main areas one is why your child might find accessing healthcare difficult because i think understanding that a little bit might help us articulate and express that so that somebody listens to us when we try and access and then uh, what we might try and do to help access you know what kind of preparation what kind of work and what kind of yeah. um, approaches we might take um to, to try and help because you know we do want our children being able to access healthcare because that's the mechanism that we can use to you know obviously keep keep them healthy and, and improve these health outcomes for our kids i think so one of the biggest problems i found and i still think is probably prevents my son from accessing healthcare properly is that you only ever go to healthcare when something is wrong yeah. or you're yeah. not well and so your tolerance levels are already, already at the yeah. bare minute you know not stress. able to like cope with a great deal and then you have somebody coming at you with a instrument or a face mask on or wanting you to get changed or touch you and they're cold and that is enough to send you into fight flight freeze at that point because just those small things mm -hmm. are just the last drip in your bucket and i think if we could get children into GPs and health 
professions when they're not ill mm. and they could build a rapport with that clinician and understand the sort of things that those tools are used for and how they don't hurt you because when you're not ill having something poked in your ear doesn't hurt but when you are if you've got a poorly ear and you stick something in the ear it hurts mm. um and we don't do that enough yeah. so i think that there's an element of we only really ever have go when when we need to and that that it causes its own set of problems. Yeah, I mean, one of the things we did to get Luke to get my son past the, the whole thing of not going in any building that's got any sort of NHS sign on it was to take him to all of our appointments. Yeah. So it was like, we're going, I'm going to the doctor, yeah. you're coming with me. Yeah. They're not going to look at you, they're not going to touch you, yeah. they don't want to have anything to do. You can just sit on your iPad in the corner and then he would see me interact with the doctor and that I was okay and that nobody hurt me yeah. and that it was all okay. And we did that for years um, to help him get over it. So you're completely right. That is a, a, Massive. a big part of needing the, the needing to build that trust. But I suppose really it's what, what can cause the issues in the first place. And I think you touched on quite a few of them there. Uh, uh, firstly, there's a load of sensory issues yeah, that are going yeah, on. Yeah, absolutely. Massive. Yeah. And, and every sense is kind of yeah. Uh, yeah. And in, your senses, in that environment. And again, your senses are also heightened when you're not feeling your best. Yeah. yeah. So you, before you even set foot in that environment, they're already overloaded with the sensory mm -hmm. um, environment mm -hmm. anyway. And then you're stepping into somewhere that might smell in hospitals have a really clinical smell yeah. and, and that can be really overpowering. Smelly, bright lights. Yeah, bright lights. Noisy and busy with yeah. other people coughing. Lots of people <laughs> who are not well. Yeah. It depends whether you're talking about an A&E department or your GP. Yeah. Or your just, yeah. if, if you just think, if you're going into an outpatient's part of a hospital, there's so many people walking around. Yeah. yeah. And not all of them are ill, but some of them are. There's people on bed. You know, you've got porters pushing really poorly people around on yeah. beds up and down corridors. When you're in an outpatient's department, it's it, you don't necessarily even have to be in A and E yeah. to see really poorly people yeah, yeah. or unpredictable behaviour yeah. because you know some people get really stressed in those environments and then don't behave particularly well, and that for your young person or your child can be really really scary. So, so we know about the physical environment of of health mm. um, places. Um, can be mass massively impacting on, yeah, on yeah. your sensory yeah. sort of profile really and, and can be really difficult to handle and make people melt down. And then on top of that, you've got, um, it can be difficult to understand, for, particularly for younger children or for those who've got a, a learning disability, what the purpose of the health intervention yeah. is. Yeah. Um, somebody's like you were saying, someone's coming at you with an instrument. We all assume that everybody knows that if you go and see a nurse or a doctor, they're there to try and help you. Our children don't necessarily understand no. that. No. And it doesn't matter if we tell them, they're not going to really understand that. So they might feel, they feel threatened. They don't know what's going to happen. They don't know why is this person trying to do these things yeah. to me. Yeah. 
what's the purpose of it? Exactly. And and to me and for me and my son, uh, social stories were absolutely yeah, key yeah, to try yeah. and unlocking yes. that. So 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 social stories where with very simple stick pictures and the odd word if I wanted to, you know, um, and and photographs if necessary of the place that we were going to go to. Yeah. In advance, um, as well as having a doctor's kit with a stethoscope at home and a yeah, pretend we, injection and all those kind yeah, of things. We did that prepared. for many years with Matt. We used to play pretend doctors and nurses yeah. a lot with a medical, a child's medical kit. But he would, I mean, I was a single parent, so he used to have to come to all of the appointments with me regardless. And every single one of them, he would just be meltdown. It didn't really help him being there with me, seeing me, because part of his anxiety is me. If anything is wrong with me, he gets even more distressed. So actually him being part of that (laughs) medical appointment didn't really help him a great deal. but and, and when he was when he went through um, a medical procedure at eleven, he was so traumatized by being forced by a huge amount of doctors and nurses. There were like six nurses, a doctor, me and my sister, all holding him, and they ended up giving him a ketamine injection, which made him really ill, made him collapse, and then they could take him through and do what they had to. But then the impact of that was he was so poorly when he came round. And that's all he remembers is yeah. the fact that people forced him yeah. to go through something. He doesn't remember any of the procedure, but he remembers being so unwell for weeks yeah. afterwards. And so from a late age 11, that was the last time that, was it, really. that he yeah. would ever set foot yeah. in an NHS type placement ever. Um, and that, that was really traumatic for him. Yeah. And I don't think any of us really appreciated just how traumatic that experience was. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we've had to do a lot of work. And social stories have helped a bit. But I think it's been um, trying to understand the anxiety around and what it is. And, I, and he's he's got lots of things he says, like he can't understand a lot of the doctors because they've all got accents. And he doesn't really understand accent people with an accent very easily and he can't see their mouth because they're wearing a mask and so if he can't see their mark their mouth it's like he can't hear them yeah yeah so he so then he doesn't really understand what they're saying so then that also increases and for a lot of our children even if they could understand they don't necessarily understand yeah so it's like it, it, it's yeah. like it's that explanation as to why why are you doing what you're doing what exactly are you doing well and a step before that is that sometimes they don't tell you what they're going to do well, no which is actually yeah and I you mean, don't that's you can I mean, that was, uh, one of the things that you can that, that i've done as a reasonable adjustment as well is write to them and say exactly what will happen in this appointment what are you going to do because i need to prepare him and some of the big teaching hospitals like um gosh have have things you can download from their website so the really good providers will have stuff on their website that give you a, a like a yeah. social story breakdown of exactly what's going to happen at the appointment exactly who you're going to see what the weight room looks like how long you're going to wait all of those things and for some of our children that can make a massive difference massive, i would say for- and i also think that certainly for young adults with learning disability and autism when you get an appointment through for whatever health need you have, 
it all often says your do the doctor's name, but it says you may not see this, you may yeah. see somebody else, yeah? They need to put the photograph of every person that, that, might, be. that it might be on the top yeah, of that yeah. letter. And that is possible and because that's, some providers do that. Yeah. And it's that, not a big deal. Because if I say to my son, you've got an appointment at the gastro people, um, it says you'll see your doctor, but you might not, he's like, well, I'm not going then. Because he will only yeah, see yeah. This, this one doctor. And he's like, he can't risk that not being so I always have to phone him up and say you have to make sure he sees that doctor but when he first got an appointment he was like I'm not going so I don't know anybody so I had to get photographs of yeah, doctors yeah. and stuff like that but people don't really understand that that is a even when, as an adult I'm an adult with autism and when I get a letter and it says you'll see your doctor so-and-so but it might be a junior doctor or it might be one of their assistants and I'm just that terrifies the life out of me because yeah. I'm going into I don't even know the doctor let alone any of the assistants but when you're going somewhere where you know you're going to be put through pain and, and prodded. prodded and it's going to make a big routine change to your day it's going to unsettle you the last thing you need is to not have a clue who you're seeing and I think that I think they should just put the photo of all the clinicians on the blooming letters and be done with it for yeah, everybody yeah, because yeah, it would yeah. just make the whole thing. I think what we're trying to express here, isn't it, is that we, we need the, to have the knowledge and the yeah. predictability. They need to be yeah. able to have yeah. uh, to be able to predict what is going to happen to a large extent yeah. and particularly what happens, I would say, at the beginning of the of that interaction at the yeah. beginning of as you arrive. So what it looks like, where you're going, where you sit, who you see, and ideally yeah. the details of those. And those parking, what they're do. parking's a nightmare at hospitals. Yeah. And it's yeah. to your stress. I was going to say, I was always going to say, it was a very flippant thing for me when I'm, if I'm taking any of my children there, they've, they've also had to put with my stress. It's yeah. like trying to car park in space. That's our part's a nightmare. Yeah. yeah. But just, just, just moving on though to another big aspect of it, I think as well, particularly for for autistic people, is not necessarily being able to identify and then verbalise where the issue is or what the something feels is. like, where the pain is, and, and they always ask in, a, you. in a way that is acceptable to the health professional. And so, so do you, what level is your pain at? Yeah. Well, that stupid question. I can't tell anyone. No. Do I know <laughs> that your pain is at a certain level and my pain's more than that or less? How do I know? I know. Your pain well, is. Well, I mean, this is it. And I think a lot of autistic people feel feel pain in a way that is that different. is apparently different to neurotypical <laughs> people. I don't know, because I don't know how neurotypical people yeah. feel pain. But, but for example, I know that if I break a bone, it doesn't hurt. It just feels weird. So if somebody says to me, oh, does it hurt? I'll be like, well, I, but I've learned to say, yes, it does hurt because I know that it's broken. Okay. So effectively, but that's me having the ability to adapt how I communicate yeah. to match them. Yeah. But most autistic people can't do that. So that question is complete. And over years, I've known lots of people with autism and, and children who have sadly had really dreadful experiences and ultimately died because clinicians didn't recognize the level of their 
seriousness of their condition because they couldn't express how they were feeling in a way that was acceptable to the professionals. So and it's massive. When That's I was a massive issue. GP yeah. a couple of weeks ago, I knew that my diverticulitis was playing up, and I went in and I sort of I didn't have a list of symptoms. I just knew I didn't feel well. Yeah. And I couldn't, I could pinpoint where the pain was, but I couldn't really give her a list list, list of how I was feeling, if yeah, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. And I just kept saying to her, I must know it's that because I just feel as ill this time as I did last. Yeah, yeah. Mm. And and that's an adult. You're, you know, yeah. a, a perfectly oh, capable, articulate adult. So if you then think, what what is that going to be like for a child who yeah. has communication difficulties? You can really see why things are so and, tough. For them. And then they ask question often, after question, after question, and don't really give processing time. And don't no, like no, so it's, it's really, yeah. it's just really. So one of the things that's massively important. Important, particularly if your child is like this is having a like a hospital or a medical passport for them yeah that you've drawn up in advance that's that you can take with you to those yeah. appointments that then helps to explain how your child presents what your child is like because your child is going to be presenting differently to what they expect yeah, yeah. so what does it look like when my child's in pain you know, well, they 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 might be fidgety, or they might um, say things like, "Say like my son break a leg," and he goes, "Oh, hurts a little bit." And paramedic was like, well, "You know, well, he can't he can't have broken it because he's walking on it, and it was broken, but he could walk on it." And all he was just a comment. But I knew from the fact that he said it hurts that, that it was really really bad. I mean, I think this is and that's this sort of thing. Yeah, listen, listening to their voice, however they have a voice, whatever yeah. their voice is, and then sometimes it's through through the parent, and sometimes it's through. And I also the way find, as an adult, respond. that sometimes I'll go to the doctors because I know something isn't right, but it's really early on, yeah. and it doesn't show up on the blood test or the urine test or the other tests that they might do because I'm right at the beginning of it starting to flare, and so they send you away. Because it's nothing's not showing, showing up. up, showing up, and then you yeah. end when you go back three or four days later, and it's got really hold of you. You're so poorly. They're like, "Why didn't you come earlier?" Well, I did <laughs> come earlier, but it didn't. Yeah, we've had conversations before, haven't we, Penny, over the years about do autistic people have? Should there be different um, thresholds in blood tests? Because because things present differently. They do. We need to have some scientific evidence beyond it. Yeah, but I research done on people with autism about the different barriers of or levels of, you know, blood yeah. and things. Because yeah. I do think like when you when you have a neurodivergent brain, you you can be really, really hypersensitive to your own body. Yeah. Well, the interception, the difference that you've got, your interceptive yeah, sense the yeah, bit that tells your brain how your body, all how your body's working, can be hyper or hyposensitive. And just because you way. don't present in the same way as somebody yeah. else who might have the same injury or same illness, doesn't mean it's better or worse than no, that no, person. Exactly. And that's, that's why people don't understand. And I think when you're in high levels of pain or you're feeling really poorly, you're not able to 
necessarily communicate as effectively yeah, as you would. Yeah. Well, and we know, you know, communication is difficult, and this is this is more stress and more anxiety, which just yeah. makes it more. Then we took on the sensory, and there you go. We've got a a catalogue for things that are not going to, you know, that yeah, exactly. quite disastrous and quite, you know. It, um, it, it, yeah, go quite wrong. So this is a really, really important area. It is. I mean, on our Angels website, we've got a page dedicated to access to healthcare, and there's some links on there for anybody that wants to have a look. Um, there's some links to examples of hospital passports that you can fill out um, for adults, then disabled adults in 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 Hearts. We've got the purple folder, which is really helpful. Um, and there's some examples of the pages from that, so you can print them off and fill them out, even if you don't, child's eligible for a purple folder um, yet. Um, so you've got access to them. So there's some stuff on there that might help. Um, yeah, and we can we can probably, you know, kind of talk a bit more about this. We do run a workshop. We do which, I, I think the thing for, for us that we were trying to get was, was why it might be difficult for your child or your, yeah. or your adult young or young, person. whatever, yeah. young person, um, and what your rights are, what you should be attempting, what, yeah. you know, what you should expect and the reasonable adjustments and that it, can be made. And it's okay to say to any health professional, this is how my child needs this thing to go. This yeah. is the support we need. Yeah. Um, we need you to do it this way. Um, and it, it and, and it, it can be feel it can be really difficult because we've sort of got a bit of a culture in this country. I think that that we are so grateful for our wonderful NHS that that we don't like we to challenge it, and we <laughs> we tend to sort of think, well, we just have to take what we're given. Yeah, exactly. Mm. It's delivered in this way, and, and I'm not going to cause a fuss. Mm. But for our children, it's so vital that we do cause a fuss, if you like. And, and, and it's often about planning and, and, and it's it? about planning and fuss. Mm. About asking for those adjustments you know things like um if they're eligible for a flu jab but they're not going to be able to have an injection they can have the nasal spray even if they're an adult mm. there's loads of things like that that you can you can ask for basically whatever they need the nhs needs to do it and yeah. if that is like having having lots of different treatments done when they're in the gen, under a general anaesthetic for one yeah, thing yeah. and coordinating everyone so that they can have everything yeah. they need or done lots of practice time. visits to get to know lots the environment visits yeah lots of visits when my son had an mri they they gave us a visit really early in the morning so that you could go in and like play with it yeah so there is lots, and, and that's just a, a few ideas, but we, um, I hope this has been helpful. I think we may well come back to, to healthcare again as, yeah. as we will serve our topic. If you'd like to know more about Angel Support, please check out our website, www.angelsupportgroup.org.uk. If you have any suggestions for topics or feedback for us, please do email us, us at podcast.angelsupportgroup.org.uk. Thanks.